0: Hey, you good? I, I love you too, I do. Um, hey, let, let me take liberty and say a couple things before we jump in. Uh, one, I have missed you guys uh, very much so. Um, I, I realized this morning, it's been about seven months since I have been here on a Sunday morning with you all, and you know... It's crazy how time flies that quickly, but uh, I told somebody last service, just being able to hang out and to see everybody um, has been what I've been looking forward to. The speaking part, that's just the icing on the cake, so uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. Um, Secondly, I want to say thanks to all of you guys who have prayed for us in Cartersville, who have uh, stopped and encouraged us along the way, whether through Facebook or we've ran into you, um, you know, out in public somewhere. Uh, I'll just steal a line from a good friend of mine. When people have been asking how are things going in Cartersville, my common response has been better than they should be. Better than they should be. Um, You look at that church and all it's been through and all it's experienced and all that God has done over the last several months. And I'm telling you, man, i just sat back and went, man, there's no way I could have ever pulled that off. There's no way my team could have ever pulled that off. God is just doing stuff there that only He can do. And so uh, I just appreciate your encouragement, your prayers. Continue to pray for us. We're praying for you guys all the time. And uh, I just can't wait to see what God does with the future of Westridge Church. And I'm happy to still be a part of this church family, even though, as Andrew said, we're in C. Vegas up there. So, um, but let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians. 13. And as you're flipping there, I just want to start us off with a question today, Um, a question that I want all of us to wrestle with when it comes to our lives as individuals. And here's the question I want you to think about for yourself right now. Um, When it comes to other people in your life, and this could be strangers, this could be people you know, friends, family members, whoever, but when it comes to other people, is your natural bend as an individual to be critical and skeptical of other people in your life. And and I'll clarify on what I mean by that question, okay? Like, are you the type of person, you get thrown into a new relationship, or you come into a room like this, or family reunion time, you know, God bless us all, um, and you walk into the room and your natural bend is to start looking at others and trying to find and focus in on their faults, their flaws, their weaknesses, their limitations, their mistakes, their shortcomings, you know, anything that'll give you an opportunity to look at that person and go, I'm not really sure about them. I don't really know if I want much to do with them. I think I'm just going to stay over here and they can stay over there and... uh, don't like them already. Like, are you that person or, or are you the person that, you know, you come into a room, get around people you know, and your natural bend is um, more so to look for people's strengths, abilities, talents, capabilities, proficiencies, competencies, those type of things so that you can kind of draw people out, encourage them, and call them to action based on their giftings and what they're good at. So with that clarification, again, and no lying in church, okay, be honest this morning. How many of us would say, you know what, my bend is probably more toward the skeptical thing, more toward the critical side of things. How many of us is that in the room? Okay, cool. Thank you for being honest. Um, If you're sitting around one of these people, lay hands on them. We're going to have a time of prayer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But in all honesty, let me say this to you. There have been plenty of times in my life and even still today where I feel like my natural bend goes toward that critical, skeptical place in a hurry. Like, I love people, man. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I get in rooms like this and I come alive and this is where I feel comfortable. Um, But I'm going to tell you, man, me and Troy were just talking about this as a leader, as a perfectionist, as a guy who wants things a particular way. It's easy for me to look at other people and to get critical and skeptical quickly. And I think all of us, somewhere inside of us, we have that bend, whether we realize it or not, with certain people and in certain situations, And here's what I want to say to all of us today. Especially those of us that say, man, that's my bend. Like, I really go that way easily. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Here's what I'm going to say. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have to make a decision on a daily basis through the power of the Holy Spirit to put those attitudes of criticism and skepticism to death when it comes to other people. And here's why. Because those attitudes stand in direct opposition to the love that you and I are called to display to others as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go back to the scripture, what we've been looking at for the past several weeks, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm gonna show you what I'm talking about. So um, let's look down at this scripture. If you don't have a Bible, you can check out the screen and you can read there along with us. We're gonna start reading in verse four. Here's what the Bible says. It says, love is patient and Kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then skip down to verse 13. Paul closes out this passage. By saying, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So in case you haven't been here over the last several weeks, let me catch you up on what we've learned really quickly from this passage. We've learned that the type of love that Paul is describing here in First Corinthians thirteen, it's a love called agape love. It's supernatural, unconditional love. It's love that we show to others even when they don't deserve it. It's love that we show to others for absolutely no reason at all. And agape love is the same kind of love that God showed all of us in Jesus Christ. And Paul says that love, agape love, um, it's patient. It's kind toward all people, gentle toward all people, even people who treat us poorly or unjustly. Um, this love, it doesn't try to elevate ourselves over others. Instead, it's humble, it's contrite, and it always looks out for the interest of other people before it considers our own. This type of love, it refuses to get angry quickly. It refuses to look at the wrongdoing of others and to keep track of those things. And as we talked about last week, agape love is a love that refuses to celebrate sin and wrongdoing in the lives of others because we know where sin leads. It leads to destruction and it leads to death but instead we rejoice when people come to an understanding of the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their lives and he goes on in verse 7 to define love further agape love and here's what he says and if you're taking notes write this down because this is our big truth we're going to focus in on for today Paul says love agape love love for no reason at all it is a love that bears believes hopes and endures all things Now, what I want to do is spend some time breaking down verse 7 and talking about what each of those four words mean so that you and I can understand how attitudes of criticism and skepticism toward others keep us from truly displaying the love of Christ. Now, here's how I want to start. I want to start with those two words in the middle of this verse. Those words believe and hope. Um, Take a note, write this down. That word believe, it, it simply means that you and I, when we love people with the love of Christ, that we choose to look at others and to find the best in them. It means we look for the best. It means that in all situations, we're committed to giving other people the benefit of the doubt. That's what that word believe means. Now, the word hope, that means that not only do we look at others and want the best for them, But that word hope also means that when we look at other people, we have confidence and an expectation that people around us are going to continue to develop and to mature into the people God created them and saved them to be. So an easy way to think about hope and believe is this, is when I love other people around me, um, I believe the best in them, I want the best for them, and I expect the best out of them. That's what those two words refer to. Now, the interesting thing about these words, again, they're buried in the middle of this verse, and we can't miss this. That believe and that hope, those those words are at a base level. They're just nothing more than attitudes toward others, right? That's what they are. And the reason it's so important for us to understand this is because our attitude toward other people... What we believe about them, what we hope for them, what we expect from them, our attitudes about them are ultimately going to determine our actions toward them. Is that not true? And it's interesting if you go back to verse 7, what you find is those two attitudes buried in the middle of two action words. Right at the end of verse 7 are the words bear and endure. Internal attitudes are belief and hope. External actions are bear and endure. Now that word bear, here's what it means. It, it comes from a Greek word for roof. And it literally means to put up with, to cover, or to protect. So when it comes to other people and the relationships in your life, you can think about it like this. If I'm bear with someone, it means um, at some level I put up with who they are. Right? Our personality differences, our Quirks—they're kind of annoying, but that's okay. They love Jesus. I'm going to love them, right? I'm going to put up with them. Um, It means we bear with each other, we cover each other, we have each other's backs. We we bear with each other's mistakes and weaknesses. It also means, from a sense of protection, that we look out for other people um, when challenging, hard circumstances come their way that could be damaging to them. So we want to cover them. We want to protect them. We want to have their back. Um, That's bear. The word uh endure it literally means to just persevere it means to press on alongside other people even in spite of temptation testing or hardship that's what it means now i I want you to pay close attention to how often paul says we should bear believe hope and endure with people how often does he say to do that he says in all things right All things. That phrase, all things, it literally means at all times and on all occasions. That's how often you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to love people for no reason at all in a way that says, you know what, I'll bear with you, I'll believe in you, I'll hope for you, and I'm going to endure alongside of you. Church, the only way, the only way that you and I can have each other's backs, protect each other, cover each other, endure alongside each other, is to see each other in the right light. It's attitude. That's where it's got to start. You got to believe and hope when it comes to other people. That takes the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That takes you making a decision every day through the power of the Holy Spirit to make a choice to see other people like Christ has seen you. This is what agape love is about. Love for no reason at all. So um, for the rest of our time together, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to learn from Jesus. We're going to learn from Jesus about how this type of love, agape love, love that bears beliefs, hopes, and doors, we want to learn from him about how this love looks like when it's applied in real life toward other people. So if you still have your Bible open, I want you to flip back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And this might be a familiar passage for some of us in the room today, um, but we pick up in John 13, and Jesus is with his disciples It's the night before he's going to be crucified, and they're having the Passover meal together. And we're going to pick up, we're going to start reading in verse 2, and uh, here's what the Bible has to say. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I want us to stop here and talk for a moment so that we can get a full understanding of what's going on in this passage, okay? Um, During the time of Jesus, when you traveled from place to place, you got to where you wanted to go by walking. I mean, there were no trains, planes, automobiles, right? You just strapped on the sandals and you headed out and so back then during this time the roads they weren't paved they were dusty they were dirty open-toed shoes so by the time you got somewhere your feet were going to be nasty it was customary during this time that if you were going to someone's house for dinner there would be a servant waiting by the door with a water basin and a towel to wash your feet when you got there so you didn't have to sit through dinner with dirty feet now that servant he was typically the lowest servant in the household. He was at the bottom of the servant ladder and he was usually a non-Jewish slave. Now, I can understand why that guy was like lowest servant in the household. Like it makes sense to me um, why that guy got the foot washing job. Reason is simple, because feet are disgusting, right? Anybody with me on that? Listen, I'm the type of guy, I don't do feet, you touch me with your foot, I'll break your leg. Like I don't, I don't do feet. And so it makes sense to me to go, yeah, guy at the bottom of the totem pole, he gets that job. Well, since Jesus and his disciples were having dinner in a borrowed room, guess who wasn't there? Foot washing guy. Like nobody was going to pay that guy to be there for them to wash their feet. So they had dinner together and they sat through the entire dinner with dirty, nasty feet. Well, the Bible tells us as dinner's wrapping up that Jesus' disciples, they start getting a little fired up with each other. Luke twenty two twenty four 24 actually tells us a dispute breaks out among them, and they start arguing with each other about which one of them is the greatest. So it's literally a battle of, I'm better than you, and here's why. This is going on at dinner, and it was in the middle of this fight among the disciples that Jesus decides to teach one of the greatest lessons in love and humility that these guys would ever learn. And I want you to just imagine this scene with me. These guys, I mean, they're fighting so intensely, John, you're a loser. I'm way better than you, right? Thomas, you're not even going to believe Jesus rises from the dead in a few days. I mean, this is going on at the table, right? I'm so much better. And so Jesus, in the midst of this fighting, and nobody realizes what he's doing because the fighting's so intense, he just gets up, stands up from the table. Nobody notices. Walks over to the door where there's a towel and a water basin. The Bible says he wraps the, the towel around his waist. He walks back over to the end of the table where that first guy's sitting and he gets on the floor he dips the towel in water and he just starts wiping the guy's foot off now can you imagine being that first guy right like i'm yelling down the table at some dude who i'm way better at and i know it and then something wet is touching my foot and the guys kicking, and what in the world and he looks down and there's jesus Imagine being that guy. This is the guy who I've devoted my life to. I've followed him around for three years. I believe he is Messiah, God in the flesh, come to take away the sins of the world. And he's on the floor assuming the role of the lowest servant that anyone could ever own, washing my feet. Imagine being that guy. I and mean, I just assume he's speechless. I don't even know that he could come up with words. And then Jesus, he starts moving from disciple to disciple, doing the same. And I just, man, I imagine the scene. And I think there probably had to come a time where the room just grew so quiet because of what was going on that you could have heard a pin drop. Church, you know what Jesus was doing in this moment? He was putting on display agape love toward these men. He was loving them for no reason at all, even when they didn't deserve to be loved. And he was choosing to love them by bearing with them. And he was choosing to love them by enduring alongside of them, even though they were acting like a bunch of immature kids in this moment. Think with me about how we see these actions of agape love pouring out of Jesus in this story. But I mean, these guys were... Prideful arrogance. I mean, it's just off the chart at dinner. And here's Jesus getting on the ground, putting up with what they're saying, what they're doing, how they're acting to a point. But he gets on the ground and acts selflessly in order to protect these men from their own selfishness, their own pride, their own arrogance, to bring them back to reality and to remind them of who he's called them to be as his followers. He's bearing with them. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to have your back. I'm going to protect you even when it's difficult to do so. He endures alongside these men. I mean, I've already said it, but think about this. Jesus is going to the cross the next day. He's going to be arrested this same night and beaten and tortured. I mean, these guys should have been ministering to him in this moment. These guys should have been on the floor washing Jesus' feet you know what he does he gets on the floor and he chooses to love these men he endures alongside of them in spite of what's heading his way one of the guys he gets down in front of is peter remember what peter did after jesus was arrested he denied jesus not once not twice three times i don't know that man i've never seen him before one of the guys he gets down in front of is judas remember what judas does He sells Jesus out to the religious leaders of his day for a few silver coins, the same amount of silver coins you would buy a slave for in Jesus' day so that he could be handed over to the Roman officials to be put to death. I mean, again, he gets back down in front of Thomas. Thomas, the guy who, after Jesus rises from the dead and all the disciples are going, Thomas, you believe this. Remember how Jesus said he was gonna come alive again? We saw him. And Thomas is going, not gonna believe it. I will not believe it. Until he's standing here in front of me and I can see the wounds and put my hand in his side, I will not believe he's alive. And Jesus knows all of this about these men, yet he gets down on his hands and knees, he chooses to love them, chooses to endure alongside of them, and he washes their feet. He loves them for no reason at all. I mean, church, he knew every single one of these guys after his arrest would leave him, abandon him, run out of fear for their own lives and leave him during his greatest time of need. I mean, I I know Jesus is fully God, but listen, when he was alive on the earth, he was also fully man. And I have to imagine that in this moment, some of those relationships in the room, they may have been tense, they could have been strained, probably tough on Jesus to make that choice to love these men like he did. But you know what he did? He persevered, he pressed on, he endured. He just loved them anyway. Now, I think that when we pay attention to the scriptures, we see why Jesus chose to bear and endure with these guys. And I think what we see here is, we're gonna continue to read this passage together. I believe what we see here is Jesus making a choice to still, in spite of how these men were acting, to still look for the best in them and hope and expect the best from them. And I think it's because of that belief and that attitude toward these men, we see in Jesus, it's why he could so easily bear and endure alongside of him in this moment. Um, go back to the scriptures with me and let's read and I'll show you what I'm talking about. We'll pick up in verse 12. The Bible said, When he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Guys, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Think about this with me. In this moment, Jesus had every opportunity to look at these guys and go, are you kidding me? We've been together for three years. How many times do we have to have this conversation? You guys are still arguing about who's the best, who's the greatest. Haven't you guys learned by now that to be my follower, it's about humility and contrition and forgetting about yourself and denying yourself. And, I mean, Jesus could have easily looked at these guys and said, you guys are just morons, right? I mean, I had hopes for you that you'd go on and change the world, but I'm starting to question this thing now. Maybe I should have called some different guys to follow me. I don't know. But he didn't do that. Instead, he looked at them, and here's what he said. He said, Guys, you're better than this. Guys, I believe you're better than this. Guys, I expect more from you than this. Jesus looks at these men and he goes, Listen, I'm your leader. I'm your teacher. I'm your master. None of you are greater than me in this room. And if I, as your Lord and teacher, can get on the floor and wash your feet, I believe and I hope and I expect that you'll do the same for each other. I mean, this is Jesus looking across from the table to these guys and saying, man, you know what? I'm not done with you. I believe in you. Even though you're acting your worst, I'm gonna believe the best. Even though I can be critical and skeptical right now, my expectations are more for you than this. I mean Jesus saw these men as men he created and loved and valued. Men he had called to do ministry alongside of them. Men again who he had put expectations on and confidence in to go out after his resurrection and to become some of the most bold revolutionaries the world has ever known for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And these guys did go out and change the world like Jesus had hoped and expected. And I truly believe that in this moment, the attitude that Jesus kept toward these men again allowed him to love them for no reason at all to bear with them to endure alongside of them and to put on the same kind of love toward them that he's given to all of us here today now church here's my question for us as followers of jesus are we loving people like this are we loving people like this are we loving people are we loving each other We're loving those outside the church like we see Jesus loving these men in the scriptures in a way that believes the best for them, hopes the best for them, in a way that chooses to bear and endure alongside of them at all times and on all occasions, even when it's not easy to do so. I mean, think about some of the relationships in your life right now. Um, If you're married, think about your spouse, your husband, your wife. Do you believe the best in them? Are you always quick in all situations to give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you hope the best for them? Do you want the best for them? Do you have confidence in them? Expect the best out of them. Or, when it comes to husband and wife, are you quick to criticize? Are you quick to be skeptical? Are you quick to look for the worst and expect the worst out of them? Here's what I can assure you, and here's what I'm confident of. If it's all about criticism, all about skepticism, then you're going to not endure and bear alongside your husband or your wife like you've been called to do so. And I'm just here today to tell you, you got to fight. If you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it's time to put to death criticism and skepticism, and it's time to start believing. It's time to start hoping. Men, you love your wife like Christ loves the church. Women, you submit to your husband as, as the church does to Christ, and you honor him in all situations, and you let your marriage be a picture of the gospel to the world. It's time to fight for some of us. Parents, what about with your kids? What about with your kids? I was a student pastor for over 11 years um, before going up to Cartersville to pastor that church. And here's what I can tell you about a lot of parents I've met. There's a lot of parents out there that when it comes to their kids, they look for the worst and they assume the worst. It breaks my heart. As a parent... been commissioned and called by God to lead your kid well when it comes to following after Jesus listen to me if you're going to do that you got to start believing the best got to start hoping for the best wanting the best and at all times and on all occasions you've got to bear with them you got to put up with some annoying stuff okay you got to endure you got to walk with them be there for them love them well and again through the power of the Holy Spirit parents listen to me you can do it. You can do it. What about with your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends? You're loving them like that. What about with other people in this room? And maybe you go, well, they're not in this room. They come to the 9 o'clock service, and I come to this service so I don't have to see them. Right? I, again, church, I'm just going, we, we gotta do what this book says. You can't just show up and read this and talk about it and then leave and go, wow, that was a good message. I'm not gonna do it. Some of us, man, we got to get on the phone this afternoon and repent and confess to someone else about how we've been acting and viewing them and treating them. And we need to say to them, you know what? I'm going to choose from this point forward to love you like Christ has loved me. I'm going to choose to believe the best and to hope and expect the best. I'm going to endure and bear with you. You let me know I have your back. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to cover you. I'm in this with you. This is what it looks like to love people like Jesus loves people. People. This is agape love, love for no reason at all. Um, Again, maybe you're here, you hear me call out those relationships and your first reaction is, "Ah, James, I don't know if I can do that. I'm just not feeling it. And again, here's what I would say as we get ready to wrap up. Agape love, love for no reason at all. It's not about feeling. It's not about emotion. It is about choice. And if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, guess what? What? You've got all the power you need in order to choose to love people like Christ loves people. Another thing I want to just say as we close, let's not ever forget that this is how Christ has loved us. Like we can't ever let ourselves get to that prideful, arrogant place where we start believing we're not annoying to God. You know what I'm talking about? Like once you start believing, God doesn't have to put up with you. Like you're in a dangerous place. Praise God he loves us in a way that says, I'm gonna put up with you, I'm gonna bear with you. Even though you act like an idiot sometimes, I'm gonna look for the best, I'm gonna expect the best. I know you can be who I created you and saved you to be and I'm gonna persevere alongside of you even when it's tough to do so. You see, when we remember that's how God loves us as individual people, it's a lot easier for us to give that kind of love away to others. So let's not ever fall into that trap of believing God hasn't loved us like this I want us to close um, just bringing it back to a question I I love verse 1 in that passage we didn't read it but here's what the Bible says it says Jesus he loved these men to the end loved these men to the end Um, the question I want you to wrestle with as we get ready to pray and close is this who do you need to love to the end who do you need to love to the end who do you need to bear with endure with believe in hope for Who do you need to love to the end? Um, We're going to take some time and pray about that. And uh, I just want to invite you during this moment, ask God to put some people on your heart. Ask God to fill you up with his Holy Spirit. Ask God to give you everything you need to love people like he's loved you. So you bow your heads with me. If you're here in the room today and you don't know Jesus, you've never come to a point where, You've accepted him as Savior, as Lord, as God. I just want to say to you today that it's impossible for you to give away the kind of love that we've talked about this morning until you've experienced that love for yourself. It's impossible for you to give away this kind of love without the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and that comes through a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Him, again, a Savior, Lord God, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And the Bible says that coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's about repentance and belief. It's about changing your mind about who Jesus is and about who you are. And that change of mind will ultimately lead to a change of direction in your life. This morning, you need to be willing to believe and confess some things to be true of Jesus. And there's no magic prayer that saves anybody, but if you need a relationship with him today, you can just say something like this. You you say, God, I believe today that Jesus is God. I believe he's perfect, sinless. And I believe that he came to this earth to die on the cross for my sins so that my sins could be forgiven, covered, and that I could be loved and accepted by you. God, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days after he died to conquer death and to bring the world eternal life. And God, today I just ask you through Jesus, give me eternal life, save me, forgive me, make me a new creation. God, put your spirit inside me so that I can be enabled to live how you want me to live, to love, how you want me to love. The Bible says you believe and confess those things of your sin God welcomes you into his family he will put a spirit inside of you he'll start changing your heart and your desires and your attitudes right now in this moment he has changed your eternity already I just want to encourage those of you who made that decision this morning to tell somebody before you leave tell a friend a family member a pastor here at our church Take out the connection card that you got when you came in the door a few minutes ago and just mark that box that said today I accepted Christ as my Savior. Drop it at the Help Center on your way out. We'd love to pray for you, encourage you, give you some resources that can help you get started in your relationship with Jesus. For the rest of us, I want us to spend some time praying, worshiping, remembering, reflecting. So maybe some of us need to get on our face with our spouse, commit to fight for each other, Maybe some of us need to do the same with our kids. Maybe some of us need to reconcile a relationship with somebody else that's in this room. I just want you to respond this morning in faith to however God is leading you. Father, we want you to work in this time. I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would just sweep through this place in a mighty and powerful way. God, do not let us leave this place the same we came in. God, we thank you for your overwhelming love for us. And I pray this morning, God, as we sing about that love, God, that you would just transform our hearts, transform our minds, and send us out of here. God, with the heart, God, with the desire to love others like you've loved us. God, we trust you for that. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.